0: My name is Grace Chapel, and I like things. I'm not really talking about nice clothes or gadgets, though those can be great too. But you know what I get excited about? Movie ticket stubs, birthday cards from 10 years ago, or pressed flowers still in the book you left them in in high school. It's the kind of stuff that goes in a shoebox under the bed, not on the mantelpiece. What is it that makes these things so important to us? And why won't we let them go? Join me each episode as I delve into someone's life, finding out about the treasures that they keep and the memories that those things preserve. This is Odds and Ends, for Curio. On a cold Saturday morning, I pull up outside a beautiful western suburb's house, one of those suburbs where everything is green and leafy and freshly mown. Unfortunately, it's the wrong one, and some old lady comes out and gives me the stink eye for parking on her curb until I pull away. I find the right house looking very similar just five numbers down the road. The house belongs to Patty Chung.
1: Is it recording?
0: Yep, hang on, I'll just double check. Patty is kind of well-known around here. She's one of the most formidable legal minds in the state. She's worked for the Director of Public Prosecutions Office and the Corruption and Crime Commission before starting her work as a private practice defence lawyer. When she's showing me around her house... With its unique pieces of art and dark wooden floorboards, we have a brief discussion about the grisly case she was dealing with in court the previous day. I try to act nonchalant as she talks about murder and dismemberment. On the other side of the coin, she's an active philanthropist, and has been on the board of more charities and organisations than I can mention here. I was a little nervous about chatting to her, as she casts quite a shadow. Luckily for me, she's very humble. And welcomes me into her house in her track pants. We get talking, and she tells me about her first object, or rather, objects.
1: Yeah, collection of uh, wine, cognac, and uh, scotch. Mm -hmm. Um, Started collecting uh, the cognac first, a long, long time ago, about maybe 30 years ago, and started when. I used to travel back to Malaysia, Singapore, and used to buy all the duty-free, just cheap.
0: Mm. Patty grew up in Johor, Malaysia, as part of a Chinese family.
1: And I was particularly attracted to the shape of the bottles, the uh, label, the uh, fragrance of the uh, Cognac when you store it in a cupboard and you open the cupboard and you can actually smell the cognac. I have a bottle of uh, Louis XIII which was purchased in 1988 for $650 duty free and I think it is now worth about over $2,000 to (laughs) $3,000 one day. I will crack it open. Yeah. It's now what 28 years because that was the year that my daughter Eva was born. And I bought it as a celebration of her birth. Then um, I collected more and more bottles. And the surprising thing is that people think that I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I don't drink, I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. Uh, I just like the shapes of the bottles and And the Chinese believe that cognac is very therapeutic, that when you drink it, it actually enhances your health. And people believe that during confinement, after the delivery of a baby, if you have a nip of cognac a day, it actually keeps you uh, invigorated Mm -hmm. and uh, helps you recover from the birth, from the delivery, and keeps you in peak health. And uh, so I've got a whole lot of uh, different types of corneic, uh usually the top range because I don't collect the cheaper range. Um, then when cognac prices uh, became too expensive, I then swapped to uh, scotch, scotch whiskey. And I have, um, again, I collect the top shelf scotch, um, which... I'm not as familiar as I am with the cognac, but I do have a few collection of uh, good top-range scotch.
0: Later on, she actually took me to the cognac cupboard to have a smell. I was expecting that overpowering scent of spirits, but it was actually quite a faint scent, like wood and honey, comforting in a way. She tells me that her mother used to have a bottle of cognac during the confinement period that she mentioned. Confinement, or sitting out the month, is a Chinese tradition in which women don't leave the house for a month after giving birth. However, in her household, a bottle of cognac was only bought after giving birth to her brothers. Her grandfather didn't approve of celebrating daughters. While we're talking, I wonder whether preserving this connection with her mother is what prompted her to collect the cognac. But I'm too scared to ask.
1: Then after scotch, I started collecting wine and... um. I'm a member of the Australian Wine Club, Mm -hmm. and um, the wine offered through that membership usually are wines from vineyards that produce in small quantities, so they are not mass produced and sold to the big liquor retailers. So I do have a wide uh, collection of wine, mostly red, I only buy the white wine. Um, to, be, to be consumed um, for events and dinners, like Christmas and all that. Yeah. But with the red wine, as you can see, I have a huge range <laughs> over the other side. The, as you walk in there... Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Patty walks me over to her wine rack, which is really more like a wine wall. The rack is about 30 rows high, 4 rows across, and 3 rows deep, and there are no spare spaces. The wine that doesn't fit here still sits in the casks it came in in another room, she tells me. She talks to me about certain labels, Howard Park, Grange, Hill of Grace, as her favourites. But remember, she doesn't drink alcohol. It's such an interesting facet to her character, this pragmatic career woman who also loves to buy bottles of wine because they have pretty labels. The two images are somewhat hard to reconcile. We start looking at her second object, it's a carved jade pendant, in a kind of double helix shape, set in gold.
1: The next thing I like, or I love, is uh, some pieces of jade that my mother gave me when I left Malaysia to come to Australia. This particular piece is a pendant um, that I've always worn from the time I left uh, Malaysia, and. Um, I left in 1973 and my mother had this piece. um, So this piece of jade is about 80 to 100 years old. The Chinese believe that wearing jade is good to protect one's health. If a person is healthy, then the jade will become very um, glossy and uh, it looks healthy and green. Because as you can see in this jade, you can see veins of uh, the green, yeah. and when you're healthy, the color is supposed to spread. And uh, if one is suffering from ill health or not at the peak of health, then the jade can become dull and uh, greyish. Mm. So it's 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 an old wives' tale, old wives believe. But I I love this jade, and once I the chain came off. Uh, round my neck, and I lost it for three days in the car. Yeah. And I was so distraught, and I was resigned to the fact that I had lost it forever. <laughs> and one day, when I was in the car, I just switched between the car seat and I got it. I was so happy. <laughs> mm. And there's a couple more pieces that my mother gave me that are uh, um, really green in color. With a shine to it, so it's really beautiful. One is a ring and the other is a a loose piece of jade and I had it set um, only recently.
0: The pendant has veins of darker greens and brown running through it, but funnily, the imperfections only make it more beautiful. Patty says she thinks the veins have grown more pronounced over time, and sometimes in photos or in the right light it just looks more green. The fact that she wears this necklace every day is pretty significant to me, not being a huge wearer of jewellery myself. I asked her to tell me a bit about coming to Australia from Malaysia, which is how she came to receive the necklace in the first place.
1: 73, I was 17 years old. Uh, yeah, came over. By herself? Yes, came over to uh, marry my then fiance. <laughs> <laughs> um Unfortunately, my mother died. Uh, I came in 73. She died in May 74. So about 40 months after I came, she passed away.
0: Was that the last time you saw her?
1: Um, I went back just before she passed away, and she had cancer. So I was home. She passed away seven days after I went home. She was lucid for three days, um, knew that I was there, but other than that, she was more or less in a coma. coma. Mm. So this piece of jade particularly um, has got sentimental value for me. Of course.
0: Mm. Mm. I don't know, did jade become an important symbol to you? I mean, because your daughter is called jade.
1: (laughs) yeah. It did. My mother's name, Chinese name um was also called Jade. You know the meaning mm. of her name was Jade. Um and when I had my daughter Jade, I decided to name her in honor of my mother and in memory of my mother. And because Jade is particularly um a symbolic um uh, Semi precious stone to me, but this particular piece is uh, more important to me than anything else I, I have in my jewelry box. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I named Jade uh, the younger daughter.
0: When Patty moved to Australia in the early 70s, it was not an easy time to be an immigrant. She was the only Chinese woman in her class at law school in Australia and one of only four women altogether where I felt isolated as a woman studying business in 2012, this would have been another level entirely. She tells me that all the support services and social groups that exist today for those making the move, especially within the university structure, were essentially non-existent. She talks about those first few years in Australia as a very lonely time, and hard in many other ways as well. It's easy to imagine how comforting any reminders of home would be in a foreign land. We don't talk about the pendant too long mainly because I'm kind of at a loss of what to say next having not really got any common life experience to draw from. We start talking about Patty's third treasure, her library, which fills another wall in her house. It's an elegant wooden bookcase, occasionally lined two books deep, in mostly paperback novels, with some stacks of those big beautiful arty books on the side.
1: I have a love of reading I've always had and that's um that love of uh, reading novels was encouraged by my second brother, and uh, who is much older than me. And it's because in Malaysia, we um, English uh, was not my uh, mother tongue. English was my second language. I didn't speak English until I went to school at six years old. So starting... Go starting school and trying to learn words in English was particularly difficult and as a way of um, improving on my English my brother encouraged me to read and he himself was a prolific reader and when he left our home to come to Australia to study medicine he left a whole lot of his books behind so I was able to uh take on his books to read for two reasons. One, because he encouraged me and I idolised my brother. And secondly, by reading his books, I felt that closeness to him, that nexus. And I read a whole lot of books like Jane Eyre, Oliver Twist, um, Dickens, Shakespeare. And it sort of um, went on from there And I find that reading, although it's antisocial, because when you're reading, you're not talking Mm -hmm. to people or doing things with people, um, it's very therapeutic for peace of mind, for learning, for uh, improving my English. And it's a hobby that I have had all these years. And it's particularly important to me now when the kids have uh, more or less left home, and I don't, I don't socialize that much. So my way of um, enjoying my time at home is uh, to read a lot of books.
0: For someone who has experienced the pain of loneliness, the kind of which those of us who live in our mother country might never fully appreciate, it's interesting to hear that much of her pleasure today comes from time spent alone.
1: I remember reading. Children of the New Forest multiple times. Yeah. It was, we didn't have a TV. Um, we didn't have um organised place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the third of three girls, the youngest of three girls in the family, but the tenth in the family of 11. So I had uh, eight brothers and... Don't recall any of the brothers being interested in playing with me. Yeah. I never had any toys when I was growing up. No toys at all like some of the kids here, like my own kids was bought with. Um, so my way of occupying my own time was to read.
0: Something I haven't mentioned, which may surprise you at this point in the interview, is that Patty Chong strikes a very flamboyant public persona. She's well known for her vibrant fashion choices and strong opinions. But today, she presents as quiet, deep, and with a rich personal life that takes place away from charity galas and opening nights.
1: From reading all those classics that were left behind by my brother, um, I developed a real interest and passion for crime novels. Mm And uh, I have a whole collection of uh, John Grisham novels, um, John Sanford, Patricia Conwell.
0: In a wild coincidence, my favourite genre is also crime fiction. When I tell her my favourite author is Agatha Christie, Patty makes it pretty clear that she's into something a bit different.
1: Um, The gorier the uh, (laughs) books, (laughs) the storyline, the more I enjoy I like going into the mind of uh serial killers, yeah. to try to figure out what it is that made them uh turn into a uh, serial killing, wow. so I just love that um, yeah. and uh the other type of books that I like are, are romance novels yeah. so um The more romantic it is, I'm a sucker for love stories.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I found it fascinating what she said about getting inside the mind of the killer, especially given her career. I ask the seemingly obvious question. Did this love of crime thrillers contribute towards her decision to study
1: law? Yes, it did. Because uh, with the introduction of TV Malaysia, um, my mum who didn't speak English and I was very close to her, she and i used to watch the tv shows like Perry Mason and i don't you know, know <laughs> you know you wouldn't know about Perry Mason but Perry Mason was an american show tv show about a de- the defense lawyer is Perry Mason yeah and he always managed to um managed to find who the real killer was by cross-examining a witness who blurts out the real killer. (laughs) So it was a crime crime series. Um so that's what I I love about crime. You know, Perry Mason I remember. Hawaii (laughs) 50 you know and some of those uh, mostly crime shows from the US that I watch. And Watch a lot of those and translate it for my mother. So, uh-huh. and that's how we uh, pass our time. And you know, we we were really close. So
0: yeah, there's something exhilarating about talking to a woman who has done so well in her chosen profession. Patty has one of those incredible stories of someone who's risen to the top from an unlikely starting place, and it's clearly given her an appreciation of the life she leads today. But. There's more to it than just getting to play with the nice things she never had as a kid. In each of the items we've discussed today, there's a remembrance of the life she left in Malaysia, whether it's the smell of her mum's cognac or the impact her brother had on her education.
1: Another show that uh, she and I used to watch and, you know, didn't quite throw the panties at the TV screen, <laughs> but we were salivating over it, it was Tom Jones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we just, we had Tom Jones, um, you know, the green, green grass yeah. of home, and uh, what's new Pussycat and all that. I can't listen to those music now. You can't? I can't because you make me cry make me think of the times I had with my mother and all that, so I prefer not to listen to those music. Okay. Mm.
0: Patty's mum passed away 43 years ago, but she speaks about a loss that's still fresh. It's good of her to talk to me about her mum today, when it, in all likelihood, caused her pain. We wrap up the interview, and I have a final look around her house. When we come to the library, I ask her if she still has any of her brother's books, but she never brought them to Australia, and the family home in Malaysia is long gone now. I do notice that she has beautiful hardback copies of a few of the titles she mentioned, Jane Eyre, Oliver Twist. She says that she's currently trying to buy a copy of her favourite one of her brother's books, Children of the New Forest, set in England during the reign of Cromwell. It's a story about four aristocratic orphans who must adapt to a new lifestyle in the forest after losing their father. But in spite of their loss and their hardships, they all grow into model men and women, and live happily ever after.
1: Odds and Ends is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Grace Chapel. reproduced produced by Jackson Eustard and me, Ben McAllister. Our theme music is Warm by Joey Pecoraro. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show. So find us on Facebook or Twitter at Curio Network or on Twitter at Odds and Ends Show. If you like the show, think about rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's about the most helpful thing you can do. As per usual, we'll have a new episode of our D&D podcast, How to Win, Lose and Influence Dragons, coming this Friday. And a new episode of Still Interested, our film and TV reboot podcast next week. Check it all out at CurioNetwork.com.